Walking by the Spirit is not about living a perfect life. It is about living an overcoming life. Not by the flesh, which is impossible. The overcoming life is living under grace, and thereby we are free to do what we want to do as a new creation in Christ. Hello, and welcome to this edition of That They Might Know, a podcast dedicated to proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. I am your host, Dr. William Mazella, and our teacher is my friend and brother in the Lord, Joe Durso. This message, Living Under Grace, Not Law, is taken from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 6, verses 12 through 14. The Christian has two choices, either to battle against his fleshly appetites under the dictates of law, or to live by faith in the Spirit, thereby overcoming sin. The first choice is to live under the law. The second choice is to live by grace. Joe Durso explores how these two approaches can make all the difference in your life. As always, if you are seeking discipleship or biblical counseling, please email us. Now, for today's message, Living Under Grace, Not Law. Dear Heavenly Father, your word is like nothing else that we experience on planet Earth. It is true. May all men be liars and that you may be seen as the author of truth. I thank you, Lord, that your word is its a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. It's a guide for the blind. It gives sight. It's the source of everything that's good because it comes from you. I pray, dear Heavenly Father, that you would grant us to see the things that are written in your word this very day. Open the book of Romans to us that we might be granted life the ability to live life as it was meant to be lived, to, be li- to live in the spirit and not in the flesh, to live not off the efforts of the flesh, but by the spirit of the living God. Grant us this through your holy word this very day. In Jesus' name, amen. We will be reading today from Romans chapter 6. I'm going to read from verse 1 right through to verse 14. Romans chapter 6, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Just comment on these verses. So Paul has been talking about the fact that a person is saved by grace alone through the death and life and death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and by our identification with him, which is an act of God, we receive by faith, we receive the reality of it through faith, by believing in what God has said about that, about that salvation, which is an identification. And when he goes in verse 4 and says, therefore we have been buried with him through baptism, he's not talking about water baptism. 
He's talking about being placed into Christ in the courtroom of God where God no longer sees, God the Father no longer sees Jesus the Son, or rather, um, uh, he no longer sees us, but he sees Jesus the Son. We're hidden in him. Like if we were to go before the pearly gates right now in the New Jerusalem. The pearl is, it's a, it's a, it starts in a, in a, a clan, in an oyster, and it, it, it secretes this white substance because there's an irritation. Something gets into it, and it covers it up, and eventually you can't see the irritation, and eventually the, the irritation dissolves away to nothing. And it's a perfect example, representation of salvation where we are covered by the blood of Christ, the sufferings of Christ, the substitutionary work of Jesus Christ, and our sin is no more. Now he goes on and says in verse 5, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, that means if we have received Christ by faith, if Christ has chosen us in him, as an elect person, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So there's the death and there's the resurrection. If we're placed in Christ in his death, clearly the purpose is that we might have newness of life. And so therefore he says, certainly we shall be in the likeness of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified when Christ was crucified on the cross in order that our body of sin might be done away so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Now he's in real time. 2,000 years ago passed, 2,000 years ago. And we were placed into Christ when Christ was placed on the cross. In this situation, in this place where we are identified with Christ, it's in the mind and heart of God. It's a reality because it's in God, the eternal being, the one who has no beginning, no ending, the one who's all-powerful and all-knowing, the one who's in charge of everything, he's sovereign. Now, in time, this reality, which is, by through identification, is meant in real time for us to be exercised. That's where Paul is leading us to. So, therefore, he says, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him, verse 6, in order that, our body of sin might be done away so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. He's not talking about sinless perfection. He's talking about slavery. For he who has died is freed from sin. Previous episode, we talked about this. We freed from sin. In reality, we may not feel freed. We may not be exercising the freedom that is ours in Christ because of a lack of faith, but it is ours in real time. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. There's this matter of faith. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. See, here's the faith in our identification with Christ. He, he, he died once. He, and uh, this is uh, on Tuesday, the, uh, the day after the day we celebrated the resurrection of Christ on, e- on Easter Sunday, where Christ, we recognize, was raised from the dead. 
Death no longer has dominion over him, no sovereignty. He's no longer our substitute. As a substitute, he took our place. And in that place, in the eyes of God, he became sin for us, even though he was sinless. And he substitute, in a, as a substitute, took away our sins, was buried, and on the third day was raised from the dead. That being the case, sin no longer has any sovereignty, any rights over Christ. It's done for him. He lives unto God as he always did in eternity. Now, here's the key, is our identification with him, which is what Paul is talking about. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. That considering is reckoning. It's putting it into a place in our mind, in our heart, where we, like in a mathematical way, recognize, put it on the books as absolutely clearly certain. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. Now we're talking about something that's kind of external from us. Sin. Why? Because any man who's in Christ is a new creation. All things are passed away. All things are becoming new. We're in the process. The things have passed away in Christ. They're becoming new in us as we walk from day to day by faith. Uh, faith leads us in this place of victory, the overcoming life, the obedient life. And therefore, he can say, therefore, do not let sin reign. One who reigns is sitting on a throne like a king, a tyrant, and he has absolute say, and he says, and we do. The king has the authority. In this case, the king is the mortal body which still has a propensity towards sin. We've been given a new heart. It's in the New Covenant, in Hebrews chapters 9 and 10. There the, the old covenant is passed away, which is under the law, living under the law, under the dictates of the law, and we're, we're entered into a covenant of grace. And in that covenant of grace, Jesus took our place, and he makes a new covenant. And what's the covenant? He will place his law on our hearts. He will write them on our minds. That's right. The law becomes so important, it's on our minds and in our hearts by the covenant that God made. He made the covenant. He keeps the government covenant. Apologize. And <clears throat> that covenant is his promise to us that our law, his law, will be of a primary importance to us. That is the covenant of grace. So, Let's, the, the verses for today are verses 12 through 14 that say, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its loss. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For... Sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. 
Now remember that difference between law and grace as I go through these verses and other passages. That law, that law and grace difference is what we need to focus on and keep in your mind. Because sin shall not be master over you for because you are not under law but under grace. We're not under the covenant of the law. And the covenant of the law says, do and you'll be right with God. The only problem is, from an evil heart, you can't do it. We're in bondage to sin. Sin is what we were born in. We were born in this determination, if you will, to sin. To be independent from God, to not love God, but to hate God, and in that condition, it was we were unwilling and unable, Romans 8.13, to keep the law of God, to submit to the law of God. So with that in mind, that we are not under law, under grace, we understand the, the command, the admonition. Therefore, do not let sin reign, making us the slave and it the tyrant, in your mortal body, so that you obey its lust. And the lust in this sense is that which we desire, which is idolatrous. It's more important than God. So God says, you only enjoy the relationship between a man and a woman inside the bonds of marriage. And we decide, no, we're going to do it without marriage, or we're going to do it with someone besides the one we're married to, which is adultery. Fornication is being single and having intimate relationship with someone, and we're not married. No, we're going to do that. That's lust, and there's the lust of, of being more important than others. There's jealousies and covetousness, idolatry of every kind, murders and hatred and lying and thieving and all of these things that we do to hurt other people. God is saying, no, that's not the way that I designed the world. That's not the way life will be in eternity for those who receive my Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who changes our hearts, puts us under this covenant by which God keeps His promise to give us His laws which are peaceful and kind and loving, merciful and gentle. There'll be no war in heaven. There'll be no war within ourselves. There'll be no war with the people around us at all. So therefore, he goes on in verse 13 and says, do not go on. This, is, this was the practice. This even is in the practice of, of, of Christians newly saved who haven't gone through the process of maturing. And part of the process of maturing is recognizing the day-to-day -day and moment-to-moment -moment relationship we need with Jesus, which secures us through our faith to live a holy life. Being bound to Christ is being set free. So therefore, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as members, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. This gives us, and I want to, just overemphasize this so we understand this before we move on, that there are the members of our body is not us. The members of our body 
are those parts that look at it this way, our eyes, the five senses, and the feeling, and the, t- and the touching, and the, and the hearing, you know, these senses can be affected for evil. And so he's saying, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. This instrument is like a tool. It's like a hammer. The person who wields the hammer can heal, can, can build a building. He can drive nails. He can use a screwdriver and, and put screws to hold a building together. And it can be a wonderful thing. Or he can take the hammer and he can use it to strike someone dead. The person is the one performing the action, and the person is the one who we are. The person in Christ is the person who desires to do good. We're going to catch up to this in chapter 7, and part of chapter 7 is very hard to understand, and we're going to work through our way through it in a, in a way that we should according to the original language, and that's, that can be taken in a way in, which makes no sense according to this. This is making the point very here. Paul is making a very clear point that there are members that can be used for evil or members that be used for good according to what? According to our heart's desire. The true heart, which is a person who's born again, regenerate in Christ, who desires to love God and to obey Him. But present yourselves. That's right. Your heart the heart that desires Christ, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So the instruments get presented when the instruments are being presented by the true person who's recreated in the image of God, in the likeness of God according to the new covenant under grace and not the law. The covenant, which is a promise from God. And then he wraps this up by saying, For sin shall not be master over you, the slave master over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. Okay, so how does this work? Okay, so I'm talking about faith. I'm talking about this whole idea of living in the new covenant. What's this mean? There's pictures all through the New Testament. Pictures that help us to give us the reality of who we are, what we are. And I want to help you do that. I want to look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 to 7. If you're possible, if you're driving your car, of course, just listen carefully. Don't look at anything but the road. If you're in a place where you can lift your Bible, hopefully that's how you're listening to this, where you can be a little bit quiet. But if you can't, that's fine. These decisions are yours. Uh, I I would just ask to be very careful. But God being rich in mercy, Ephesians 2, 4 through 7, but God being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our wrongdoings, in our sin trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places 
in Christ Jesus. Now, it doesn't look like that right now. To you and I who are, I call it real time, you know, this is Tuesday, April, what is it, 4th, uh, 10, 16 a.m. You know, that's the real time right now. And in, in real time, I'm sitting in my office and I'm speaking a message out into the airways to whom, whoever may listen at whatever time they listen to this. That's real time. But this in real time also, in God's time, in God's place, because he's the one who raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That preposition in is that identification with Christ in him. In God's time, a God who's not controlled by time, we are. We're, we're stuck right here, right at 10, 17 a.m. I am, right now at this moment. Whatever time you're listening to this, that's where you are. God is not. God is there. God can be wherever he wants. He's everywhere present at the same time. I can't comprehend it, not going to try. But God raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That's the Christian's place. Even though I'm not experiencing the future just yet, even now, in God's sight, I am seated there with Christ. So that in the ages to come, oh boy, verse 7, so that in the ages to come he might show the boundless riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's it's like ages meaning forever. Forever in the ages and ages and because we think in terms of ages in in those terms in the terms we understand we will experience the boundless riches of his grace and what is that that's freedom to do what's right freedom to love God freedom to be perfectly loving. Now, faith doesn't just see the here and the now. Faith sees us then. It sees a place that we don't even experience now in our senses. Our body is grasping for everything with the here and the now can give us, what the earth can give us. But God, in his greatness, placed us somewhere we don't see right now, but in the heart of a person with faith knows it exists. We are seated with Christ. Now, this is the way the writer to the Hebrews put it in Hebrews chapter 12. You have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, the general assembly and church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Wow. Not only is it this place that's unlike in any way like earth, a place of where God lives. It's a heavenly Jerusalem. It's in the heavens right now. It's going to come down to earth in the future. It's the new Jerusalem, 1,500 mile cube, a place that doesn't in any way resemble where we live. Transparency. It's all like glass. It's no hiding anything or anyone. It's Mount Zion, a heavenly Jerusalem. There's myriads of angels there, beings that we, if we saw them, we would be, our breath would be taken away. And it's the general assembly of the church, like 
The church is there. The people called out of the world, this wicked world in which we live right now. And church of the firstborn, that's Jesus Christ. We're, they're enrolled in heaven. And to God, the judge of all. But most importantly for our discussion today, the spirits of the righteous made perfect. In that hour, in that day, <clears throat> excuse me, we are perfect in that hour. And in that perfection, we are in reality completely set free from even the war that we have now as Christians with this matter of sin and the body parts or these parts of us that are desiring something that in our hearts we do not want, but we want God. So in Revelations 21, I want us to look through these future realities. And part of how we gain the victory in this life is by understanding that those future realities are a reality to God right now, and they can be to us when we walk by faith. Behold, verse 3, the tabernacle of God is among the people, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people. And God himself will be among them. This is the reality of heaven. God is among his people. It's not just like we're alone, and we have to battle out on our own, and we have to try to keep the commandments of God in our own energy. That's all done away completely. It should be done away now as we live by faith. Then it will be the, the living reality even by sight. Of course, faith will always be an element in my mind because we, even though we see God and we're there present, you know, God and spirit cannot be seen. We see Jesus, and that's the reality of who what God has done for us. And it is a, a sight experience. But there's always the unseen. And that's always still a reality. By the fullness of faith, God himself will be among them and he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. Then it's a reality. Right now, by faith, we understand these things will come to pass. No one can overrule God. He is the sovereign of the universe. He is omnipotent. He's all-powerful. And these things will come to pass not only for those reasons, but because he cannot lie. He will not lie. He only is the, tells the truth, and he is the source of truth. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things. Now that's the reality then, and that can be the reality now by faith. The overcomer inherits these things, it says. These things, what, what things are those? Revelations 21.7 tells us that the flesh does not inherit the kingdom. You see, the spirit, the one in the spirit, inherits the kingdom. So verse 7 says, but for the cowardly, unbelieving, and abominable, murderers, sexually immoral persons, and sorcerers, and idolaters, and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. 
we who have put our placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone have been placed into Christ no matter how we may feel about ourselves no matter how we may be distorted in how we think about ourselves in Christ these things are a reality because in the heart of the Christian he desires to walk with God and we are to live the overcoming life overcomers live in the spirit verses 10 and 11 in Revelations, tell us, and he carried me away in the spirit. This is John. It's a picture. He's carried away in the spirit. He's not carried away in the flesh. He's walking in the spirit. He was in the spirit on the Lord's day. He's carried away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And, and this, the messenger showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Her brilliance was like a very valuable stone, like a stone of crystal clear jasper. You know, it's not just talking about the elements of the city, really primarily at all, not talking about it at all. He's talking about her brilliance. What makes the new Jerusalem the new Jerusalem isn't these elements in the, in the new creation of God. It's God's people. We are his creation. We are his people, and he dwells among us. Just the way we dwell in the building that he has made, we dwell among God. We dwell in the presence of God, in the fullness of God while we are, when we are there. And that is what he wants us to know in these verses. The New Jerusalem is about the people. The glory of God is her brilliance. The new heaven and earth is about light and glory and daytime. Listen to these verses as we continue in verse 22. I saw no temple in it. The temple was the place that you went to understand, to see, to experience God. It was a building. But there's no temple building in the New Jerusalem. Why? Because it says, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple." We're in them, in reality. We're in them now by faith. We're in them experientially by faith even now because we believe them to be so. We're placed in the heavenly places because that's where Christ is. And we are in Christ. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple and the city has no need of the sun or of the moon to shine on it for the glory of God has illumined it, and its lamp is the Lamb. Think of it. God is the light that gives us the light to see everything that we now see. In the new heavens and the new earth, it's not a planet in the midst of darkness. It's a planet in the midst of light. The light proceeds from the new Jerusalem in brilliant colors, and it fills the universe. And we're right at the center of it. And you know what? Because God is not bound by time, we're right there with him in Christ, even now. Not in our real time, but in God's time, in God's timelessness, right now. And so living this reality is, is living in faith. He goes on in verse 24, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it. The kings who were kings. The paupers who were paupers 
every tongue, every nation, every person for whom God has designed salvation are there. The focus on the kings, because the kings don't mean anything. God, Jesus Christ is the king of kings. He, he is the Lord of lords. He is the master of all. And we find our existence in him, not an earthly king. I don't know to what degree we're going to be serving and how all that's going to work out. I just know that it's completely different than now. What does that mean? That means that as the king of kings got down on his knees and he washed the disciples' feet. I am, I'm one among you who's as a slave, as a servant. I'm serving you. I'm washing your feet. You want to know what the new heavens and the new earth is like, what people are like in that place? Just look at Jesus. Jesus didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. For many. And that is the place of those who live there. In the daytime, he will bring his glory into it. In the daytime, there will be no night there. Its gates will never be closed. And they will bring the glory and the honor of the nations into it. What's the glory and the honors of nations? <laughs> the Lord Jesus Christ. The glory and the honor of those who are Christ is Christ. It's not some self-attained achievement. It's not winning a game or winning a nation or being the leader of a people and dictating what they shall do and how they shall live. Jesus does that in the new heavens and the new earth. We know right from wrong and we dictate to ourselves from a pure heart to do right and to serve God, and that's what we should do. That's what we should do now. Nothing unclean, no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it. But only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know who wrote those names there? Jesus did. We don't have control over that. No one does. It might be a hard pill to swallow for some, but the fact is it's a beautiful pill because God can be trusted. We can't. God can be trusted perfectly. God is the river of life and the tree of life. As we continue on to finish this up, I want you to understand something very, very important. We're talking about living in a place that we can't see with our eyes, we can't hear with our ears, we can't feel or taste. It's beyond the five senses. But right now, Right now, as well as then, the principle is the same. In verse 22, in verses 1 and 2, it says, And he showed me a river of the water of life. This is the river, not of water, but of the water of life. It's the river of life. Whatever it looks like, I can't quite put my eyes on it, my, my mind wrapped around it. But God is giving us a picture. The way we see a river flowing with crystal clear water. You can see the bottom. You know, it's almost like the water's not there. But it's flowing. And the life is proceeding from the Lamb. And the life goes and flows through His people. 
He showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life bearing 12 kinds of fruit. This is the tree of life, just like the river is the river of water, yielding its fruit every month, all month long. What is the fruit of life? Well, the only thing I can say from the scriptures is the word according to Paul in Galatians chapter 5. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. The Spirit is life. Those who worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. We worship in the Spirit because God is Spirit. And because God is Spirit, we worship in Spirit because it's His life that must flow through us. Only thing that's acceptable to God is what comes from God. So the Apostle says, but I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire in the flesh. This is in real time. This is not when we've been perfected. This is while the battle still rages at times. For the desire of the flesh is against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh, for these are in opposition to one another in order to keep you from doing what you want. So the flesh is warring against the Spirit to keep us from doing what we want. In the new creation, that is right now for those who are in Christ, those who have been given a new heart, those who are a new creation, as Paul said in Corinthians. You're a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things are becoming new. We want to serve God in the Spirit. So therefore, if you are led by the Spirit, he says in verse 18, you are not under the law. Oh, back to that again. We're not under the law if you are led by the Spirit. You are not under the law. Where are you? You're under, when you are under the law, you're, you're in the flesh, and the deeds of the flesh in verse 19 are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. I mean, you just have to stop saying these things. You could have went on and on because you just don't even want to think about these things. Of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And that's practice such things as a way of life. They should be so broken that they, are, they do not define who we are. They should be so slight, though the war continues, and temptation is not sin. But he who says he's without sin it makes God a liar because we do sin. Not because we want to sin, but because of the body, because of the flesh. But believe me, we are not, sin is not to reign in our bodies. We're commanded that here. And it has to be, it should be a living reality if we walk in the Spirit. Now, part of walking in the Spirit is 
walking in a, by faith. And therefore he goes on and he said, those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but, but the fruit of the Spirit is, and this is the tree of life, this is the life of God that is meant to flow through those who are walking in the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is the umbrella over everything that follows. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Wow. Against such these things, there is no law. It's not about being under the law. There's no law to deal with. These things are the result of living in the Spirit under a covenant of grace, believing that God can and will do these things in us as we walk by faith. It's not about the law. We don't have to be concerned of living under the law. We don't have to manufacture holiness within ourselves as if we could and we can't. No, it's only living in the Spirit and allowing the Spirit of God, who is the the water of life, who then flows through us and creates in us this holiness by which we live if we live in the Spirit. This is not about Christian disciplines. This is not about creating something by self-effort. This is not about living under the law. This is about living by grace in the Spirit. Those two are contrary to one another. Don't miss this. And I'm not criticizing Christian disciplines, but they are meant to flow out of us as a result of living in the Spirit. They are not a means to living a holy life. Never meant to be. Well, what are you talking about? The means of grace. Yeah, that's, that's an oxymoron. Grace grace is something you don't manufacture. Grace is something that's given as a result of God's goodness and his mercy and his kindness. Grace comes to the undeserving. When a person realizes he's undeserving, when he realizes what he cannot do, God fills such a person with love and mercy on a humble person. The proud realize what they can do. They're wrong. They're confused. They're living in the darkness. Only sinners. God saves only sinners. Jesus said, I didn't come for the righteous. I came for sinners, the unrighteous. And he gave himself as a ransom ransom for them. And when when a man is in that state and he bows before the cross of Christ, recognizing what he cannot do, then God enables him to do what he then wants to do because he's been given a new heart. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. That's done at salvation. That's done as they live by faith from hour to hour, from moment to moment. It's what I can't do. And I don't, I I can't even try. There's no sense in trying to do it. There is our identification, my dear listener. Our identification, just like the apostles of old, who walked with Jesus and for three years they desired to be great in the kingdom of God. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of God? And they argued over it at the Lord's Supper when he's offering himself and the first holy fellowship at the Lord's Supper when he, he says, this is my body and this is my blood. And they're arguing over who's the greatest. 
Believe me, that was something that they could never get out of their mind. Believe me, this was a motivation in their life to walk through the rest of their life in a way that was humble. This is what made the apostles the apostles. This is why their names are on the gates of the New Jerusalem, on the foundation of the New Jerusalem. Why? Well, because they're the foundation of the church. And what made them the foundation of the church is this humility. Denying God in the person of Christ in his greatest hour of need. It destroyed them. It broke them. It smashed them into pieces. And out of the humility of their heart, having denied Christ in that hour, they became apostles. And this is who we need to be leaders in the church today. Sadly, I, I don't think that's much of the case. Certainly in some cases, and everyone thinks they're there. But after five decades of living in the church, I, I see much in the way of pride, scholarship, attainments, achievements. I want, to leave, I want to end on a happy note, and I want us to think about what can be and what should be in our own personal lives. We live by the Spirit. Let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another, envying one another. This is verses 25 and 26. Let us live by the Spirit in Galatians. Walking by the Spirit is not about living a perfect life. It is about living an overcoming life. Not by the flesh, which is impossible. The overcoming life is living under grace, and thereby we are free to do what we want to do as a new creation in Christ. So what does overcoming the temptations of the flesh look like in practical terms? And I'm going to give you four and then we're going to close in prayer. What does overcoming the temptations of the flesh look like in practical terms? Number one, overcoming, overcoming temptation, overcoming sin, overcoming is a substitution. It is not the victory of the Spirit's will over the flesh's will because it's not a battle of wills. Let me say that again, because when we get to Romans 7, it's going to be big. It's not a battle of wills. If it is, you're going to lose. It is death to the old sinful man and life lived in Christ. It's a substitution. Overcoming is a substitution. Therefore, pray for faith. Pray for faith that Christ's substitutionary atonement would be applied to the life you live now. You can't do it in your own strength. Pray for faith. Pray, pray, pray. Oh, back to a means of grace. If there's anything that I don't want to see as a means of grace, it's prayer. Prayer is an act of humility. Prayer is not contending who's the greatest. Prayer is not contending with with the will. Prayer is not something you do. Prayer is looking to God to do what we can't do. Praying is not me being good about something. Prayer is recognizing how sinful I am. Praying is recognizing that God has to do what I cannot do. If prayer is a, is a discipline to you, you're, doing, you're praying wrong. You got it wrong. 
Somebody led you astray. Somebody's not telling you what, what prayer really is. When you get down on your knees and you get to the place where you are just broken in your sins you're praying, when you're down on your knees praying and you recognize just how sinful you are, now you're praying. When you're in tears before God because of what he sacrificed to make you whole, now you're praying. When you're praying that way, you're actually living by faith. And that's not a work. Faith and works are contrary to one another. They're not the same. If prayer is a work, you're not praying. You're not living by faith. You're not even exercising faith. Overcoming, number two. Overcoming is a walk. Hear this. If you haven't heard anything else, and I hope you heard the praying part, hear that overcoming temptation and sin is a walk, not an arrival. Today's victory does not guarantee tomorrow's success. You hear that? Overcoming is a walk, not an arrival. Today's victory does not guarantee tomorrow's success. Therefore, pray for perseverance. You're going to need it. Three, overcoming is belief. It's trust. It's faith. Overcoming is belief so strong that we are transported to another place and another time. The place we live in reality and not in fantasy. God has said we are seated in Christ in the heavenlies. This is not fiction. This is a fact. It's a fact in the mind and heart and experience of God. We need to be transported there daily. Is God fantasizing or telling us a fact? Is he? Yeah, well, it's a fact. God does not fictionalize our experience. He is truth and not a liar. No matter what the devil says, therefore pray that God would increase your faith and that you might live in Christ. Number four, overcoming is bearing fruit. Overcoming is bearing fruit. It is bearing the fruit of the Holy Spirit. It's not bearing the fruit of the flesh. It is bearing fruit that only the tree of life can give. Once upon a time, the world was divided into nations because of sinful pride. Man sought to exalt himself above God. So God gave the man what he wanted, the environment to make war on a grand scale. Division and not unity has been the course of man set for himself. He set it in the garden when Adam fell, and he took it to a grand scale at the Tower of Babel. When once again, within 400 years of the flood, he said, we'll do what we want to do. We're not going to fill the earth. We're going to stay right here and make a name for ourselves. So God gave him what he wanted, the environment to make war on a grand scale. Division and not unity has been the course a man sets for himself. The fruit that the tree of life provides is the fruit of unity and love. Death to self and living to God. The one who lives unto God put his own desires last and his brothers first. That's what we do when we live in the Spirit. It's about my brother. It's not about me. Therefore, pray that you may bear fruit in Christ and unto God. Dear Heavenly Father, the words are yours principles are yours, the truth is yours, 
We cannot create these things. We can't write these things. All we can do is exposit, study, and seek to understand the truth of your word. We, we need you. That's the prayer. The prayer, Lord, is that in our own flesh, you know, you've disclosed it all throughout your word. In the flesh, we, we wound you, we deny you, we, we forget. Even as Christians, we are tempted all the time to live in the flat flesh, to forget the importance of the redemption we have in Christ, the importance of the substitutionary worth of Jesus. This is why men don't pray. This is why Christian men born in the Spirit fight the greatest fight of their lives every day to pray, to humble ourselves in humble submission to the will of Almighty God who says, live in the Spirit. Receive the water of life and bear the fruit of the tree of life. Lord, we know that Christ is life. He's the resurrection and the life. He's the tree of life. And the fruit that we will bear throughout all eternity and that we can bear right now is his fruit. His life lived through us. It's not about us. There's no competition in the Christian life. Lord, help us to see it, to realize it, to live it every day, to live this moment and the next moment as we put, continue to put our faith in Christ and your life on display. In the way we live, in obedience to God. Lord, make us an obedient people. Make us a people who trust in you, who desire you, who desire to live for you. Take this truth and spread it into the ears of all who listen, and may they walk in transparency as did the apostles. Having been, having lived out the most awful denial in human history. They experienced the greatness of apostleship and to be the foundation of the truth because they lived out as we all do, whether we recognize it or not, when we, when we have the words of truth, the New Testament, that grant to us the faith to live in the Spirit, and we walk in the flesh. We deny Christ. Humble us all before the throne, and more important, before the cross. And we might exalt you by living in the Spirit and by faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.